Last week, we covered the Bed Bath & Beyond case filed with the Federal Maritime Commission. But today, I want to do a quick overview of the other things going on at the FMC. A look at the enforcement actions, some of the other pending adjudications. Today, it's the FMC Enforcement and Pending Adjudication Roundup. Let's go. (laughs) Hi, welcome to By Land and By Sea, an attorney breaking down the week in supply chain, presented by the Maritime Professor, me. I'm Lauren Began, founder of the Maritime Professor and Squall Strategies. And I'm your favorite maritime attorney. Join me every week as we walk through both ocean transport and surface transport topics in the wild world of supply chain. As always, the guidance here is general and for educational purposes only. It should not be construed to be legal advice. And there is no attorney-client privilege created by this video. If you need an attorney, contact an attorney. So before we get into the discussion of the day, let's go through my top three stories of the week. (laughs) All right. Story number one. Women's Maritime Day. Did you know that yesterday, May 18th, was Women's Maritime Day internationally? So in 2021, the IMO, the International Maritime Organization, adopted a resolution proclaiming May 18th each year as International Day for Women in Maritime. And that was yesterday. The day celebrates women in the industry and is intended to promote recruitment, retention, and sustained employment of women in the maritime sector. I'll say that, you know, just quickly looking over it, it didn't seem to address sash issues, which is um, sexual assault and sexual harassment, um, as kind of in their blanket statement. But, you know, perhaps that was part of the impetus. Like I said, it only started in 2021. um, So perhaps that was part of the impetus for the creation of the day. It is a newer day to be celebrating, right? It's only been around for this is the second, third, second time, right? Since 2021. Um, so it's a newer day for celebrating, but we'll see where it goes. I, you know, it, it can't be a bad thing, right? Uh, so speaking of women in the industry, story number two, WISTA USA. Have you heard of WISTA? So WISTA is the Women's International Shipping and Trading Association. They had their annual meeting in Washington, D.C. last week. So the WISTA USA. If you're not familiar with WISTA, I encourage you to look into it. It's an international women's network, and it's really a wonderful network of, like, powerhouse women in the industry. Uh, It is international, but this was the WISTA USA chapter holding their annual conference in Washington, D.C. last week. Uh, So WISTA USA also has regional chapters to make it more connected to its members. Uh, We, we, I I am a member of WISTA. We have both WISTA sisters and WISTA misters. So you don't have to be a woman to join. You can, you can certainly be, uh, you can join no matter who you are. So, um, but if you, if you do travel internationally for work and you are a member of WISTA, it's a great network to be connected to, right? You can connect for drinks, dinner, just general networking um, in really most major cities around the world. Uh, high tea is a major thing that, that WISTA sisters usually do. So I've heard of many times WISTA sisters going around the world for work or for whatever reason and just calling up the local WISTA chapter and being able to, to go for drinks, to go for high tea. Uh, so last week they met with notable industry leaders in their AGM, their annual general meeting, uh, such as Coast Guard Commandant Linda Fagan and FMC Chairman Dan Maffei. It really is a great group, and and what a powerhouse lineup they had for their their overall meeting last week. Uh, 
All right, we're we're cruising right through. So story number three. This last story we're actually going to talk about in a few minutes in more detail, but the Federal Maritime Commission released yesterday a press release saying that they had collected $2.65 million in civil penalties from two ocean carriers, ONE and One High Lines, for alleged violations of the Shipping Act from activities in recent years. So this follows a $2 million civil penalty we saw last June, June 2022, that was assessed against Hapag Lloyd related to detention, detention charges. So notably, these civil penalties are not recovered by the FMC for the benefit of the FMC, right? The FMC, we've talked about this before, only has a 30-ish, 40-ish million dollar budget. Third, I'm going to say that again, 30 or $40 million budget. But they're recovering $2.65 million in this recent round, $2 million last year. That doesn't go to their budget. That doesn't go back to the FMC for them to use. It, it's not a way to augment and increase their budget. These civil penalties go directly to the U.S. General Fund of the U.S. Treasury. They pretty much bypass the FMC and go straight into the General Fund, which is great for the United States generally. But, you know, I guess on the one hand, you could say it makes the FMC even more independent, even more neutral uh, when when assessing these because there isn't a financial gain uh, by by (laughs) receiving civil penalties. I I don't know. It's just interesting. There's a lot of agencies that do recover uh, directly any civil penalties they assess, the FMC is not one of them. They do not benefit from the civil penalties that they assess. It goes straight out into the general fund. All right. Well, we're going to talk about all this and more. So let's get into the potato- the meat and potatoes of the day. Um, so let's go through. We ta- Like I said, we talked about the Bed Bath & Beyond case that was filed in April, um, so just a couple weeks ago. Um, we've also talked about a few other cases, but let me, let me refresh your memory. So the Bed Bath & Beyond case, it's Bed Bath & Beyond versus OOCL. We have not seen a response or apply yet. We've only seen the complaint uh, from Bed Bath & Beyond. They're alleging uh, this is going to hinge on minimum quantity commitments, and they're alleging $31.6 million in addition to other injuries, including lost profits, but they're basically not saying lost profits are included in that 31.6. They're saying, look, this is what we, this is our damage, uh, 31.6 million, which since we're just talking about the FMC budget, that's about the same budget as the FMC, <laughs> but okay. And and also notably uh, Bed Bath & Beyond recently filed for chapter 11 bankruptcy. So um, would the 31.6 million have made a difference? I, I don't know. I don't know their books, but it certainly is not a small amount of money, right? So 31.6 million. Um, basically what, what Bed Bath & Beyond is alleging, and that, that's just it. It's an allegation because it's a complaint. We haven't seen anything yet um, other than what Bed Bath & Beyond is saying here. And basically what they're saying is in 2020, they had a service contract that had minimum quantity commitments at 2,100 uh, FEUs, 40-foot equivalent units. So again, remember, cargo boxes come in 40-foot equivalent units or 20-foot equivalent units for the most part. There's a variations within that, but for the most part. And that's how they're, they're discussed, right? FEUs is the 40, TEUs is the 20. Makes sense. Uh, so they had 2,100 FEUs annually with an average of about 175 FEUs per month. Um, what they're alleging is that ultimately uh, OOCL fell short on honoring that service contract commitment. Uh, almost 1,500 FEUs short is what they were saying. Uh, or or uh, sorry, 600, uh, is, 600 short is what they're saying in, in 2020. They, they said they only accommodated about 1,500. And then in 2021, it happened again. And and again, I said this last week, but what 
when they negotiate 2021, it's not at the end of 2020, right? So they probably negotiated it in advance of maybe things going wrong with a 2020 contract. So it wasn't like they knew that was happening. Maybe they did, but they, it was negotiated probably before um, things were starting to really break down, uh, according to Bed Bath & Beyond. So 2021 service contract, uh, minimum quantity commitment, almost 4,000 FEUs. It was 3,700 annually, which worked out to be about 316 FEUs per month. Um, they're saying only about 2,400 of those were provided. And ultimately what they're saying is that they were pushed into premium rate contracts saying that the ultimate end, the, the, the piece of the minimum quantity commitments that the OOCL was not honoring, Bad Bath & Beyond is saying that they were then coerced or, or scooted into or pushed into uh, premium pricing to fulfill the service contract that they had already agreed to. That's a problem. Um, and then they also said Bed Bath & Beyond was constrained in their ability to uh, pick up, such as congestion of ports, policies implemented by OOCL and other carriers, um, basically throwing in the we couldn't pick it up for a bunch of different reasons. Um, but ultimately, this case is going to hinge on those minimum quantity commitments in the service contract. This is something that we've talked about previously. Um, so this was the MCS versus Costco and MSC case. That was filed in July 2021. We've talked about that case before. And what was happening in that case is it's getting stuck in some legal procedure right now. Um, it the, it's it was ultimately well it was initial decision I shouldn't say ultimately decided it was there was an initial decision released by the administrative law judge on legal procedural reasons it wasn't determined on any of the the legal um, content necessarily um, and again this is all for educational purposes for discussion purposes this is not something you should rely on um, but that case is still pending that is the most important part that case is still pending um, because the initial decision came out and basically said, um, I'm going to issue a default judgment, the ALJ, against um, the the complaint, the the um, responding party, um, because they were saying that they weren't responding to the discovery. MSC in that case was saying, look, we can't respond to the discovery. We have some criminal statutes and Swiss law. Um, so like I said, it was getting a little procedural, legally procedurally complicated. And so it didn't get into the meat that we're looking for, the, the minimum quantity commitment discussion. I think Bed Bath & Beyond might have been waiting to see what happened in that case, too. I know a lot of shippers were kind of waiting to see what happened in that case. Um Obviously, exceptions were filed, which is basically appeals. So it's it's on appeal. So this is not MCS is not a completed case. Do not rely on it yet because it is not a completed case. Again, not legal advice, but just general information there. Um, it's still pending. It's it's in basically exceptions appeal right now. So. Interestingly, then we had the Bed Bath & Beyond case filed in April. They do reference MCS a little bit, um, talking about how it was um, the initial decision was was issued against um, MSC in that case and, and a few things that the administrative law judge said in her initial decision. But again, that's still on appeal. And this Bed Bath & Beyond case, all we have is the complaint so far. So there's a lot of really interesting stuff happening. We're going to get, hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed, hopefully we get some clarity on minimum quantity commitments because there's not a lot of case law there, right? We've seen um, breach of contracts previously, which for the most part, the FMC basically says, look, we don't, we don't totally do breach of contracts. We do Shipping Act violations. And that's kind of where we see them come down a lot of times. And so 
service contracts, minimum quantity commitments, that's all Shipping Act stuff, right? That's all FMC stuff. Uh, so so I'm really interested to see how these cases go. The other one that we're watching is the American Trekking Association versus Ocean Carrier Equipment Management Association, OSEMA. Um, this one, remember, it was, among other things, an exclusive agreement. This is the initial decision, initial decision. This is not final also. Um, that exclusive agreements between ocean carriers and chassis providers violate the U.S. Shipping Act when a motor carrier is not able to use the chassis provider of its own choosing, basically saying the initial decision with from the administrative law judge here is saying, look, we don't like these. Well, it's not we don't like. This is a violation of the Shipping Act saying that exclusive agreements between ocean carriers and chassis providers violate the Shipping Act. Um, this one has some really interesting potential to shake up the industry as well. But exceptions have been filed, right? So appeal. this is on appeal as well. There was an initial decision that basically said that. Don't rely on this one yet. This is also still pending. There were exceptions filed. Like I said, that's another way of saying these were appeals filed. But then we've also seen some other interests weighing in on this. Um, we've we've seen some other 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 industries under other um, other parties basically submitting memos, uh, MXS Fury briefs, basically saying, here's why this is an important thing for me, and here's why I agree with the decision, the initial decision, or here's why I don't agree with the initial decision. One of the things that this hinges on is, does the FMC have jurisdiction over chassis? Obviously, the administrative law judge thinks that she does, or the FMC does. Obviously, she wouldn't have taken the case. She would have kicked it out otherwise. Um, She certainly wouldn't have gotten to an initial decision saying that she has if she didn't think she had jurisdiction. Um, so so she thinks she does. That's another question. We've talked about that, I think, uh, maybe two weeks ago, where there was um, there was a letter submitted to the FMC, or, or excuse me, to, to Congress, um, the House T&I Committee, basically saying, look, we want more clarity over FMC jurisdiction. In that letter, they're talking more about some of the detention demerge charges that might happen at rail yards. Um, but this is kind of the the extension beyond the ocean side of things. Where does the FMC jurisdiction end? This is also going to be talking about that. So like I said, these three cases, really, really interesting cases that are going to decide the parameters, the breadth, the scope of, of FMC jurisdiction um, and and define some of these otherwise grayish areas. So we also have... Um, the Office of Enforcement. So remember, it used to be the Bureau of Enforcement. So this is the these are the enforcement arm pieces that we're, that I'm watching. It used to be the Bureau of Enforcement. Now it's the Bureau of Enforcement, Investigations, and Compliance. And remember, they did a little restructuring there, but they wanted to make sure that they had this compliance arm and investigations arm. But I think that was always probably implied. Um, they've always probably had compliance as part of their proceedings, as part of their kind of the FMC as as part of what the FMC does, right? They want to make sure that they have compliance, but now they have a dedicated office within the Bureau of Enforcement, Investigations, and Compliance because there's a lot going on and they want to make sure that people out there know you got to comply. Their regulated entities need to comply with some of the things and they're moving pretty quickly. And so this, I think, is partly an outreach side um, to make sure that compliance is happening, but also a check side, right? Checks and balance to make sure that the compliance is happening. Um, so like I said, yesterday, just yesterday, the FMC announced uh, that there would be two shipping lines paying civil penalties totaling $2.65 million. But previously, just a few weeks ago, the FMC had their commission hearing 
where they were talking about what was happening in fiscal year 2021. What happened? BEIC, the Bureau of Enforcement Investigations and Compliance, executed 191 investigations, 204 enforcement matters, 59 compliance matters, and three formal enforcement proceedings. They were very busy. And actually, during fiscal year 2022, um, over $3 million in civil penalties had been collected. So throughout that year, and actually they said since 2021, um, over $3 million in civil penalties had been collected. And so here we see June 2022, they had $2 million in civil penalties collected. And already, what just in, in May 18th, um, we've had $2.6 million for this year. Um, so what was happening with the $2.6 million, the, the two shipping lines that are paying these civil penalties? So we had ONE, and basically they entered into an agreement with the FMC to resolve allegations. And, and that's just it. This is allegations. That the vi- that they violated, or or that uh, these allegations that have violated the Shipping Act. The FMC is saying we allege that ONE has violated the Shipping Act in its assessment of detention charges when appointments were unavailable during allocated free time to return equipment. ONE agreed to pay 1.7 million in civil penalties. I I should in, uh, reinforce though, that's not an admission of wrongdoing or a violation of law. Um, but the FMC is alleging that ONE violated the Shipping Act in its assessment of detention charges when appointments were unavailable for allocated free time for return of equipment. We've seen the FMC really diving in on some of these things, right? We, they really are making sure that um, that people are paying attention and, and using the incentive principle for detention and demerge assessment. One highlines also um, as part of the civil penalty uh, announcement yesterday, they reached a settlement agreement. So a little bit different than entering into an agreement. They reached a settlement agreement with the FMC to close an order of investigation and hearing issued by the commission in December 2021. So this has been open for a while against Juan High Lines. They agreed to pay 950000 in civil penalty, so almost a million dollars, uh, to address allegations that it violated the Shipping Act by failing to observe and enforce just and reasonable practices relating to its charges related to empty container returns. So Wan Hai also refunded impacted shippers um, all detention charges collected under their invoices issued in during kind of in 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 consistency with this matter. And according to the FMC announcement, they've actually Wan Hai has actually implemented corrective actions to prevent future violations and ensure compliance with the commission's interpretive rule on detention and demerge. So what we're basically seeing here is the FMC kind of systematically going through and saying, I mean, kind of paraphrasing, we, we think you made some wrong decisions. We, this is how we're going to fix them. And, and they're also showing through this press release, basically, that the FMC, that, that the FMC is seeing some, some corrections here. Um, like we said, that's in, in compliance with and inconsistent with the interpretive rule of detention and demerge. These were both talking about empty container returns or or free time or detention um, we're seeing a lot of a lot of movement from the FMC on detention and demerge so the FMC in this press release also highlights though that the, there's a distinction between these two matters between one uh, ONE and one high lines so they're saying that the compromise agreement with ONE is reached prior to the commission initiating a formal enforcement action so prior to the commission initiating a formal enforcement, they had not actually initiated formal enforcement proceedings yet, but they reached an agreement with ONE. 
Whereas with Wan Hai, there was a settlement agreement. So that is concluding an ongoing enforcement proceeding. And that's why we uh, we saw it said that there was an order of investigation and hearing issued by the commission December 2021. So there's actually an open docket on the Wan Hai proceeding versus ONE reached prior to initiating formal action uh, enforcement action. Again, I should note, these are not admissions of wrongdoing or violations of law in either agreement, but they are some sort of an agreement with the FMC to pay civil penalties for the allegations the FMC is making. Um, just to kind of recap also, we have charged complaints. The FMC in their hearing made note that they have actually received or helped facilitate over a million dollars in refunds under the charge complaints process. They've had over 200 charge complaints filed since June 16th, since it first started. Um, And they've had all of those, almost all of those have been waived or refunded and haven't needed to go through an enforcement proceedings. They've only had one show cause order issued by the Office of Enforcement through this process. Um, we've talked about that before. It was a $1,000 congestion surcharge. But that's that's how serious, right? The FMC is, is taking all of these matters seriously. They're really reviewing everything here. Uh, they're, they're diving in. So I think these are these are good moves from the FMC. I I. I I think that the FMC is taking their time, um, but they're also moving quickly. I, I think that they these charge these charge complaints are fast, right? They're, we've only had them open since June, which is what just about eleven months, and we've had over two hundred. We don't get that in docketed cases, right? We we certainly um, can't push through two hundred docketed cases, formal litigations. Um, there aren't that many filed with the FMC in a year. Um, but we do have some notable cases, Bed Bath & Beyond, right, being one of them, MCS being another, uh, the, the the chassis case, that are really going to help shape some of the understanding and the nuances around the guardrails that the FMC is looking for. We also have the rulemakings on the horizon. I'm keeping an eye out for those. I'm expecting them within the next month. Stay tuned to buy land and buy sea. But as always, the guidance here is general and for educational purposes. It should not be construed to be legal advice directly related to your matter. If you need an attorney, contact an attorney. But if you have specific legal questions, feel free to reach out to me at my legal company, Skull Strategies. Otherwise, for the non-legal questions, the e-learning, and general industry information and insights, come find me at The Maritime Professor. If you like these videos, let me know. Comment, like, and share. If you want to listen to these episodes on demand or if you missed any previous episodes, check out the podcast by Land and by Sea wherever you get your podcasts. If you prefer to see the video, they live on my YouTube page by Land and by Sea, presented by the Maritime Professor. And while you're at it, check out the website, themaritimeprofessor.com. So until next week, this is Lauren Began, the Maritime Professor, and you've just listened to By Land and by Sea. See you next time.